The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, where we're working even on my birthday to bring you the best information and motivation and inspiration to start or grow your own real estate investing business. <coughs> Sorry about that. Um, so... Tomorrow at Cincinnati RIA, uh, we've got a really interesting uh, speaker and topic, and that topic is negotiation scripts for dealing with buyers, sellers, contractors, creative deals, banks. Um, Matt Reed, who has been a guest here on this program and who is a super successful investor from the Cleveland, Ohio area, actually contacted us a couple of months ago and said, I am so sick of watching people lose deals because they just say the wrong things to people and they end up blowing the deal and alienating the seller and doing all of those things. And it's so easy. There's just a script. Can I, can I come and teach people what the scripts are? And of course we said, of course you can. So that's what he's going to do tomorrow night at the early meeting. You can choose between uh, how to be a successful private lender and how to set up your business practices in such a way that minimize the chance that you will uh, get sued or be staying up at night uh, questioning your own actions. Uh, that meeting is, of course, open to the public. You can get more information, RSVP, and get a free guest pass at CincinnatiRIA.com. That is CincinnatiREIA.com. And speaking of Cincinnati RIA, uh, our exciting next speaker on the 4th of uh October is actually a duo. It's Jason Roberts and Rachel Snyder, who have been in the real estate business for uh, many years, and uh, things did not always go the way they wanted them, because um, when they when they were in their 20s, they decided they didn't want to work and really loved real estate, didn't want to work for somebody else, I should say, and really loved real estate, and uh, opened a mortgage company in 2001 which I'm sure seemed like a great idea up until about 2006 when the mortgage business basically crashed and burned. So uh, they they regrouped after they had to find a, a different way to use their particular talents and uh, got into the real estate business and have closed over 300 transactions since then, uh, specializing in pre-foreclosures and short sales, but doing also wholesales and probate properties and all kinds of cool things. So now they are funneling that expertise and that longtime love of real estate into 
uh, a business where they coach people and come and speak at groups and share their wealth of knowledge. And uh, we are thrilled to have them here on Real Life Real Estate today. Jason and Rachel, welcome. Thank you, Vina. Happy birthday. Oh, thank you. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, happy birthday. Thanks for having us. Yeah, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have said that except Mike gave it away before the show. Uh-huh. He's like telling everybody what Mike this he didn't this didn't tell tell everybody which birthday it is. So <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, that would have been ugly. So um when you come here to Cincinnati and you're also gonna be in Columbus uh two days before that, I know that your focus in the evening meeting is going to be around kind of getting people's getting people's mindset right about getting leads and making sure that process is, uh, you know, as automated as it can be and not fighting everybody else to do exactly the same kind of marketing that everybody else is doing and, you know, some negotiation in there. And it's kind of a wide ranging uh, talk. And I want to cover some of that today uh, for listeners who are all over the country, of course, and can't necessarily come (laughs) to Cincinnati Rhea on the fourth, but I want to I want to start with a bigger picture thing here that that fascinates me about your business. You guys not only uh, try to work the minimum number of hours you possibly can, but you're so devoted to that idea that work is just like a like a small part of my life that you don't even let your assistant work more than a certain number of hours a week and I just want to talk about like where did that all come from like when how did you make that decision and how hard was it to implement it well I'll, I'll answer my two cents and then Rachel can give hers but I, I know for me Vina it came from you know I grew up in a brewery family my dad worked for Anheuser-Busch all my family worked for Anheuser-Busch from the time I was a child work ethic was just drilled into me I mean they're they're Saturday and Sunday wasn't the weekend. Saturday and Sunday was more work. And from a young age, that was just what I was taught as a man. Your job is to work and provide, and that's what you do. You get up super early in the morning, you work all day, you come home, you go to bed, and you do it again, you know, over and over and over. And so when we transitioned into the mortgage world, you know, we I, I recreated that environment. And so it was 530 in the morning at the office, and we would leave most nights at midnight. And at the time, I would have certainly argued with you that I was happy and my life was the way that I wanted it. Meanwhile, my personal relationships were suffering, marriage suffering, um, my health suffering. You know, I mean, when you're in an office from 530 in the morning until midnight, you don't really tend to eat the best and take care of yourself and work took priority over everything, over family, over friends, over myself. And um, that was all fine and great until that market collapsed. And there wasn't any more work to do. And I kind of found myself as like a 30-year-old guy who had always been well off financially, but my entire identity was wrapped around that business. And I really didn't know who Jason was outside of work. And that was the first time in my life that I had ever really stopped to think about what I really wanted my life to look like. What, what, do I, what would I do if I didn't have to work all day long every day? What do I like to do for fun? Like that was a hard question for me to ask, answer. And so that was the kind of thought process behind building our business around our life instead of what most people do, and that is we work, 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 and whatever little bit of time is left, we try to go do something fun, or maybe we just rest because we're so tired from working. So I think just a different perspective there, and 
as we started to build our business that way and started to ask ourselves different questions, you know, when you only have four hours a day to get done what you would normally get done in 10, it's a different thought process. We still have to get all these things done, but we can only, we only have this amount of time, kind of like, you know, the day before you go on vacation, how you get 10 times more done. So that was foundationally important for us. And I think Rachel and I both also had the perspective that by doing that, we don't want to, we don't want to do it on someone else's back at the same time, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And thus the thus the, uh, the assistant gets well compensated, but also doesn't work a 60-hour week. That's correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and to be clear, that, that four hours a day is a self-imposed limitation. Yeah. It's not It's not that you don't yep. still have 24 hours in a day. It's that you, you just said four hours and then I'm going and living my life. Yeah, that's the choice. There's, you know, we kind of look at life, and, and like Jason was saying, that there are way more important things than you working every single day, 10 hours a day. And you need 10 hours a day because that's the story that you're telling yourself, is that you need 10 hours a day. You would be amazed at when you only allow yourself a certain amount of time, how efficiently you you not only work, but your entire team works. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I think I learned more about leadership and delegation when I put those parameters in place because, you know, we're all, we all have the tendency to just, you know, you want something done right, we do it ourselves. And especially when you transition from corporate America into entrepreneurship, for some reason we throw away all that structuring and departments and, you know, there's a marketing person and a payroll person and we just do it all ourselves. I learned more about how to really run a business when I put those limitations in place than I had the previous 12 years. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's just, uh, that's a great perspective for not just people who are already running a business and are already, are already sitting there going, Oh, I don't know how I would do everything in four hours a day. We'll figure it out. It's also a great perspective for new investors who don't know that they're going to get themselves into that position, but practically everybody does if they don't think it through from the beginning. Absolutely right. Yeah. They trade a job for a job. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very true. So so thank you for that. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we will delve into uh, some of the ways in which you uh, implement that uh, while at the same time being able to do 300 or more properties and run a hard money business and do all of the other things that you guys are doing. Uh, if you have questions for Jason and Rachel, our numbers here in the studio I'm just going to give you the one. It's 877-772-9658, 877-772-9658. You can also send an email to askbina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. Talking today to Jason Roberts and Rachel Snyder, who uh, are partners in several businesses, um, and even, even more than I mentioned with the, uh, hard money lending business and the real estate investing business and, uh, the, the coaching business. And, um, we're kind of, kind of here today to talk about, um, big, big picture strategy, but also about some of the ways in which they, they manage leads and manage negotiations and manage all of those sorts of things that everybody needs to get their head around when they first get into the real estate business and of course continue to do throughout their real estate life. Now to give, to give folks some, some perspective guys, 
what is it you what what is the property you're looking for like what do you do with the properties that you get for us we're 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 flip we're fix and flip um we're not buy and hold people and i'm not by any means saying that that's a bad strategy what what we teach is acquisition so how to get a deal what you do with it you know obviously is your business um for us it's generating deals that we can buy and have good margins, good profits. But for us, we're fix and flip. Um, we tried the rental thing and managing people or managing property managers and that kind of thing just wasn't our wheelhouse. And really more specifically, our wheelhouse was lending because that's where we came from. And so we tried some, some rental stuff and we just, we're just not good property managers. We're just not the detail, Rachel's detail driven. I'm not, but for us, we looked at it like, what is the smartest place for us to park our profits or put our profits? And for us, with our lending background, it was you know a natural transition into hard money lending where we can pull a 30% annual return as opposed to maybe a 10% with a rental. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So now let's look at the, the flip side of that, now that we know what you're doing with the properties, and let's talk about the, the kinds of sellers that you like to target because I know a big part of your business over the years has been short sales. Is that still, is that still a viable business in a hot market? Yeah, it definitely is still viable, but I'll tell you when we were at our height of doing it, no, today the market is not, you know, we're not generating those same type of leads through that, but we have countless students who are running full-time businesses all on, pre-foreclosure and short sales. And so we definitely still use it as an acquisition strategy. Um, I love them because you can build up a pipeline of properties and no other strategy really allows you to be able to do that. But um, we also focus a lot with, with the probate. Okay. Um, that's something that we have uh, found that we can consistently do closings through that, through that strategy. And it's come something that we really enjoy because we can close on them faster. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Without all the complications that are involved in it, with short sales, it tends to be real easy to get the uh, seller to sign the agreement. But then there's the whole bank negotiation process, and that's what tends to take a while in probate situations or in uh, sorry, uh, short sale situations. Okay, so now that we've kind of laid the groundwork for uh, folks who are um, maybe not not familiar with your specific business. You guys use some fairly, um, I'm not going to call it out there, but some, some, some marketing strategies that are not commonly taught. And the one that really grabbed my attention was you guys cold call people? So you have to understand our background. And that is Rachel and I, are, my first real job and really kind of her first real job too was in the collection world, which not saying anybody should go do that. It's, it's, it's a good paying job, but it's not a good environment. Um, however, it, it pays really well, but, but my, our, our job was to make two to 300 outbound phone calls a day. And that was before Mojo Dialer and all these things that make calling people easier. We had a phone, a computer, and a finger, and you pounded the phone all day long. And we made between two and 300 outbound calls a day calling people who didn't want to talk to us and didn't want to pay their bills. And our job was to try to talk them into that. And so, a lot of people's fear of calling someone, you know, it was just naturally beat out of our system <laughs> early on. And so it wasn't it wasn't this big, scary thing because, hey, it's a whole lot cooler to call somebody and ask if we can buy your house than it is to call them about their delinquent Discover card. 
So when, you know, we went through the transition of, you know, running a multi-million dollar mortgage business to really over the course of two and a half years where we couldn't originate loans and, and bringing us down to, to zero, we knew we had to rebuild. We knew we had to do something. But honestly, I, I didn't have $500 a month for stamps, for, for marketing, for letters, for all that kind of stuff. But I had a phone and I had free Wi-Fi. And so we literally got our start. The first 50 deals that Rachel and I closed in 2011 came from, as stupid as it sounds, reverse white pages, which is the worst skip tracing engine that there is. <laughs> but we just took the property address. We put the address into whitepages.com, got a phone number. And, you know, half of those phone numbers were disconnected. And we only found phone numbers on about half. But the first 50 deals we closed in 2011 came from making an outbound call to somebody who was about to lose their house and seeing what we could do to help them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, there's there's people listening all over the country right now who and the hair on the back of their neck is standing up because they're so terrified of the idea of picking up the phone and calling a stranger and say, and saying what they picture you're saying, which is, hey, do you want to sell me your house? Is that what actually happens? So one thing I would encourage everybody to think about is, is when we're scared of doing something, it's because we're making it too much about ourselves. I, I'm going to say the wrong thing. I'm going to screw up. I'm going to make a mistake. I'm going to not know what I'm talking about. I'm going to be embarrassed. You know, all, all this gambit of self-talk crap that we tell ourselves that isn't really the reality. And what I would encourage everybody to really focus on is just something really simple, like what can I do to help the person who answers the phone? I just, I just want to help them or leave them in a better place than where I found them. And it kind of shifts the focus from me to them, especially in pre-foreclosure, you know? So my call would always be really simple. And I'd say, Hey, it's Jason Roberts. Sorry for the call, but Hey, I saw your house was coming up for foreclosure sale here in about three weeks. And I was just calling to see, what exactly you guys were trying to do? Are you trying to keep it? Are you trying to get out from under it? You know, what's your plan and what can I do to help? And just be quiet, you know, and, and, and it became a very natural, easy conversation to have. And then I explained to them, you know, in, in my heart, I know that they only have really three options. Option number one is they reinstate their loan, which means they have to pay all their back payments, plus interest, plus penalties, plus attorney fees which if they had that kind of money, they wouldn't have missed the payments to begin with, right? Mm-hmm. Number two is they get foreclosed on and thrown out of their house. Or number three is they work a short sale. And option one and option two aren't really the greatest of options. So I would you know, educate them and explain to them how we can help them and how we can probably get their sale date postponed or canceled and, and give them a little more time in their home to decide what they're going to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and that mindset really carries, like you're giving the pre-foreclosure example, which for some people are going to say, well, that's obvious. It goes in every single strategy. You talk to anybody that's been in the real estate business for even a year and has done a handful of deals, every single one of those properties that they bought was a burden or a pain point for the person on the other end. And somehow they were able to solve, they were the solution to their problem. And so you can carry that same mindset through. You know, you can easily tell Jason's very comfortable on the phone. It's not a problem for him to make that outbound call. For me, I struggle with it a little bit more, but I always keep in my mind what happens to him if I don't reach out. 
that happened to them if someone else tried to take advantage of them or, you know, the, the, that list is endless. And so the, I know that with me, they're going to get the best situation that they could possibly get for their problem. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, our sellers do tend to be in situations where they're looking at a lot of non-ideal options. Whether it's whether it's well, I can either let the bank take my property, or I can declare bankruptcy, or I can sell it and not get any money because I owe too much on it. They're, they're, none of them are like great options, but uh, we are usually the best of their bad options. And it it sounds like part of your part of what your approach is is letting them or make making sure they're clear on what those are and why. Yeah. Although you may, you know, in an ideal world, they might like to sell their over leveraged house and get $100,000 to move, uh, that that's probably not going to happen. And that of what's available to them, you guys are the best. Uh, that, that's exactly right. And I think, you know, as a whole, when there's an uncomfortable situation as human beings, we, we just kind of tend to put our head in the sand and pretend that it doesn't exist. And so part of that communication, our job is to bring reality to the forefront and and, and, and into their face so that they can make a decision because pretending it's not happening isn't going to make it better. So Uh we, we have to bring the pain up so that they feel the pain and that they understand that it's real but then offer them a a, a viable solution that actually helps them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, Very good. When we come back, we're going to talk about uh, how to, how to maybe give yourself a mind shift so that you can at least try this calling people thing. And also some other strategies for finding deals that other people just aren't working, which is what you need in a market where, all of you guys are complaining all of the time about how competitive the market is and how everybody's getting mail and how it's so hard. You need to be willing to try something new, and we're going to try and help you do that. Uh, you can give us a call uh, with any questions you have at 877-772-9658, or you can send an email with any questions to askbina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox, and um, talking today to Jason and Rachel, who run a couple of successful businesses that are real estate related out of the St. Louis area and are coming to Cincinnati on October the 4th and also Columbus on October the 2nd. And you can get more information about that at CincinnatiRia.com, CincinnatiREIA.com. Uh, what we're talking about today is sort of like how, how they are looking at this in their own business and the things that they are doing to be successful in their own business. And uh, before the break, we were talking about the fact that they make cold calls. They actually, instead of just trying to track down the address of a seller, they track down the phone number and call them up and uh, see if they want to sell and what they can do for them and all of those sorts of things. But um you guys, I know, I know you coach people and I know you must have people who are extremely resistant to this because they say things like, well, no, I'm way too shy and introverted to get on the phone and just call a stranger. And, um, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not good quote unquote with that sort of thing. And what, what do you tell them to get them past that? Rachel, you want to take it? 
Okay, somebody needs to take it. <laughs> yeah, I'll take it. Um, so for me, it's 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 kind of simple. Uh, first thing I try to do is get people clear on what they really want the objective or outcome of this real estate investing business to be. Is it a hobby, or are you really trying to change your life? You know, do you really want to quit your full time job? Do you really want to pay your house and your cars off? Because it happens all the time, but it happens for people that take it seriously. So. Number one, I think you just have to get clear on, on what you really want the outcome to be because the goal of all of our marketing, and, and obviously we teach a lot of different types of marketing, not just outbound calling, but the uh, whole objective is for us to what? It's to talk to as many people who have a house that they may want to get rid of as possible, right? So I think we can take a reactive approach and do what's been done for 20 years, and that is drop direct mail and sit on our hands and wait for the phone to ring, which still works and still works to a degree if you have a creative message and the right data and all that kind of stuff. But we're kind of taking a proactive approach and saying, that's all great and well, but what if they get 15 letters in the mailbox and they pick somebody else's letter? Or what if they call me, but in the meantime, someone else shows up on their doorstep? So we're trying to, you know, curve that response rate delay and just say, what we're really wanting to do is have a conversation with somebody who wants to sell the house. So how about we just call them and bring it, bring it to the situation, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. So do you do you have do you have any exercises that you put these shy quote not good on the phone people through? Like, look, I just want you to pick up the phone and call ten people and not get deals. I mean, so, you know, something something that will make them see because I think I think the fear is that. Uh, I'm intruding on this person's life and therefore they're going to be angry with me and they're going to yell. And we're very, very sensitive even to strangers who can't see us and will never, will never hear from us again and never, never knew who we were before, like being angry. Yes. Yeah. Well, and you, you really just, I think we're both, you need to start getting comfortable being uncomfortable and so those moments when you're like, there's no way I could ever call them. What if they hang up on me? What if they scream at me? What if they yell at me? All of those things are probably going to happen. But what if you set a homeowner appointment? What if they say, hey, come look over at the house? That's where the focus has to be. And that first time is going to be extremely uncomfortable. But the 30th time you do it, it's going to be like riding a bike. It's like anything. The first couple times you do it, it's scary. Mm-hmm. I completely agree. I mean, repetition is the mother of all skill, right? So we, we just we just have to do it and maybe just take away the fear and the pressure of the outcome. Who cares if you screw it up? Who cares if you stutter? Who cares if you stumble over your words? Who cares if you don't set the appointment? Just get comfortable with the action of doing it, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, very good. Um so I want to talk about something somewhat related that I know you guys are also uh, big on and good at, and that is following up with people who've already told you no. And this is this is something that so many people give lip service to that, right? Well, you, you know, you're supposed to follow up with sellers every 30 days, but then the reality of the um, of the implementation of that, let's say, is is small. <laughs> Uh, I, I would guess that less than 10% of even full-time investors do that, do the follow-up. So 
talk about when someone has already said, no, I'm not, I'm not doing what you want me to do. I'm not going to, I'm not going to work a short sale. I'm not going to take your offer for this inherited property. What is the, what is the, how often do you follow up? And what does that follow-up call sound like? Great question. Um, and so we, we dropped the ball on this when we transferred into the real estate investing world. You know, coming from a mortgage background, we would generate literally a thousand plus leads per week of people who are searching for a house or a mortgage. And so the sales team that we built of loan officers, it was their job when they weren't taking a loan app. They were pounding the phones. They were calling people. They were trying to qualify them. And so that's the environment that we're used to creating when we, when we changed into real estate investing. You know, we're a 21-day state for the foreclosure process. So when we started with specifically with pre-foreclosure, we only had 21 days. And so our model there was just get to the homeowner, get to the appointment, get the doc sign, try to get the sale date stopped. There wasn't really any follow-up process. And so we were really dropping the ball on that. And a guy that rented office space from us was a pretty successful wholesaler in St. Louis. He does 50, 60 wholesale deals a year. And I walked into his office one day, and he's got this board with, like, 60 names and phone numbers and addresses on it. And I said, what's with, what's with the board? And he said, well, that's my hot list. And I said, well, what, what makes it your hot list? And he said, those are all the people who have told me no or slammed the door on me or told me that my offer was too low. <laughs> and I kind of looked at him and I was like, well, what, what makes that a hot list, man? That looks like a bad list to me. And he's like, no, 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 man. He said, if I close five or six deals a month on average, three to four of them come from that list right up there, the people who have told me no. And that is, yeah, that is, uh, you just, you just said something super important because it is, it is so, it is so true for everybody. Like, like anybody who's actually bothering to follow up finds that they're making a lot of their deals, maybe half or more from that follow-up call that they weren't going to bother to do because the, 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 the person not only said no, they gave you a good reason for no. Right. They said, well, I can't take that because X, Y and Z. And they actually convinced you that they couldn't take the deal. And then two, three months later, after the follow ups, all of a sudden they can take the deal. Absolutely. So encouraging people uh, to not just say they're going to do that, but to actually do it. And the idea of putting them, I, I love the guy's idea of putting them out where he can see them. Instead of having them buried in a CRM someplace with a little note that you have to open up the CRM to see the note, right? <laughs> Nobody ever actually does. Uh, is yep. is a fantastic idea. We have we have a similar board, although it's a it's a dry erase board, you know, with handwritten uh, addresses for it, and uh, we basically don't stop calling people until they've sold the property to somebody else. Exactly or right. until, you know, if there's been a foreclosure sale until that happens and or until they, you know, threaten to call the FBI on us or something for. <laughs> continuous. Right. Uh, hey, right. one of the things about being on the phone is there are some crazy people out there in the world and they will say things to you that if, if it weren't being said to you, you would think it was funny. <laughs> but but when yeah. it's being said to you it can be kind of it can be kind of uh intimidating and frightening uh, i literally i was talking to a student on the way here today and she said she had she had sent out a piece of mail and this guy called her and was screaming at her on the phone about how she better never send him another piece of mail because he had called the fbi on her and she was she was traumatized of course and and I'm literally, I'm literally like, okay, so let, let's walk through this scenario. Yeah. 
<laughs> First of all, he didn't call the FBI. And secondly, if he did, let's think about how that conversation went. <laughs> I would like you to stop chasing terrorists and cults and please go after this woman who sent me a letter to buy my house, you know? Right. <laughs> so in in a sense, if you're not getting some of that, you're probably not doing enough marketing. Absolutely. Yeah, every bit of marketing is always going to generate. You could be giving something away for free and you would get some kind of negative feedback. It just goes along with marketing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I always say, you know, we could we could mail a thousand people a hundred dollar winning scratch off lottery ticket and, and somebody's going to call and complain. <laughs> we mailed them a hundred bucks. It's just the way of the world. <laughs> yes, that's 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 really true. Uh, so I'm curious, do you do you do you even call? probates because that's a that's um an emotionally charged kind of situation even more so than than short sales when when you're talking to an executor or an heir they've lost somebody in recent times so are are those also people that you would cold call absolutely in addition to you know four or five other forms of marketing i i, I want to try to reach people in as many ways as I possibly can, because I know from experience in this business that the majority of investors are just doing direct mail, the majority. And so I have to do something different. I want to set myself apart from everybody else's, you know, one of the 15 letters in the mailbox. So we may do something creative with Facebook. We may find an email address for them. We, we, we may leave a door sticker. We, we, we're trying to reach them from as many different ways as we can. But yes, I'm, I'm still wanting to have that verbal conversation. And you're right, it is a much more sensitive situation. So I, I make sure that the very first words out of my mouth are condolences and, and you know, really trying to understand where they're at. Um, I also know at the same time that what seems like a blessing to receive a $200,000 house that's free and clear can also be a big, huge burden for a working family that has a wife and husband and kids and soccer and all this stuff. And, oh, yeah, by the way, they're three states away. And now they owe, you know, now they own a house in Ohio and they live in St. Louis and they don't have time to drive up with a moving truck and get all that stuff out of there. They don't, they can't be there every day to manage a construction crew to bring it up to current, you know, get rid of the shag carpet. And they don't have the time or the resources to do all that. So while, it can feel uncomfortable. At the same time, I can't tell how many closings that, that Rachel and I have attended where the family is in tears at the closing table and hugging us and saying, thank you guys so much for your help. I don't know what we would have done without you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and so there's still a huge need there to help. And is there is there well, any... Also had... Go ahead, Rachel. I would say we've also had so many people that say, you know, I chose you guys because you were the only ones that took the time to call me. Hmm. Everybody else just sent me some letter um, or put something on the property. You guys actually took the time to call me and find out what was going on. Excellent, excellent, and and that and that sort of real life experience. You know, people get up in their own heads about this. You know, they 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 hear they hear that they should be doing it, and then they get to thinking about doing it, and then they decide that all of these things are going to happen that either don't happen or aren't that big a deal or they have you ever noticed that that uh people who are kind of new to the real estate business 
they can only imagine the worst thing happening. They can't, they can't imagine that people yeah. are crying and yeah. hugging you and thanking you and saying that was great that you called me. So so hearing the real life experience of yeah we we do get some of this but it's balanced by this other stuff is awesome. So so you mentioned you mentioned that there are four or five ways that you try and contact most people and I know we don't we we we're like down to 10 minutes left in the show and we do not have time to go through all of those but for the benefits for the benefit of the folks who can't be here in Cincinnati where you are going to talk about that uh, can you just sort of list what they are sure so I'll give a quick as answer as I can um, when we started doing short sales you know the guy that taught me Sean and this guy had been teaching short sale marketing in St. Louis for like the last 10 years so I can go to Aria and St. Louis and say, how many of you guys in here do short sales? And 70% of the room will raise their hand. And anywhere else in the country, maybe two or three hands go up. So mm-hmm. we knew we were going into a market where everyone was already marketing this specific strategy. And so Rachel and I going in knew that if we're going to have any success with this, we've got to do things differently. We've got to reach these people in a different way than how everyone else is reaching them. So first thing that popped into my head was Facebook. You know, everybody's on Facebook. People are on Facebook more than they're on their phones. They're on Facebook more than they check their mailbox. Um, if you read the statistics on it, it's absolutely crazy. And so we thought, what if we could find them and send them a very compelling message through Facebook? So we added that. We thought, what if we could skip trace them and find an email address and reach them that way? So we added that. We added the skip tracing the phone number and making an outbound call. So we added you know, four or five different, I'll call them marketing types that were different from what everyone else was doing. And also kind of on the old rule that 80% of sales happen after the fifth contact. So our thought was, what if we can get to five contacts in the first week? You know, we just drastically increased our percentage chance of being able to do business with this person. Mm-hmm. And let's 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 uh, do a little bit deeper dive into one of those things, which is which is the Facebook uh, idea. There's been a, I don't know, like a surge of courses and webinars and seminars out there over. I'd say it's only been about the last two years that recommends Facebook marketing as a way to find deals. So in other words, it's, it's, you know, I'm going to set up my target audience and I'm going to, I'm going to write an ad and then they're going to see the ad and then they're going to hit a button and they're going to get my online, whatever. That's not really what you're talking about, is it? No, not at all. I'm, I'm talking about locating the person specifically and being able to communicate them through an inbox message or some sort of, you know, person, we're not throwing this on their wall or on their page for everyone to see, but we're reaching them, you know, directly. Mm-hmm. With, with some kind of message actually telling them what you want from them, I assume. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, I think with all marketing for the benefit of everybody on the call, you know, one thing I've learned from 17 years in this world is that if you're going to be a really world-class marketer, you have to answer the question, what's in it for them? And just saying, you know, I buy houses, I pay cash, I can close quick. That may work to someone, but it's not speaking to the person who's two weeks away from their foreclosure sale. So being able to, to compose a message that answers what their biggest concern or fear is right now, which is the impending sale date, and addressing that as opposed to just saying I buy houses makes a big difference on being able to have that type of response. And also some people feel, you know, it's an embarrassing situation. They feel a little more comfortable with an email or a Facebook message in the beginning. Okay. 
Okay. So let's let's back up for the last few minutes of the show here and look at the big picture again because you've given people some some great kind of um, off the beaten path marketing ideas, but you you're also sort of talking about a system. It, it's it, it, this isn't random. This isn't, hey, we got the latest list of people in pre-foreclosure, so now when we have some time, we'll do this or that. And I'm guessing, with your four-hour day work schedule, that you are not personally going in and posting all these Facebook messages and composing the emails and all of that sort of stuff. So what is what does the system look like here in terms of who does it, what do they get paid for it, are they getting paid commission or salary or I don't know maybe you are doing it yourselves what what is the what is the what does the big big picture system look like here well we actually started out doing it ourselves because there was no money to pay anybody else so if you're in that situation it's by any means necessary right you do whatever you have to do in order to get yourself in a different situation so when you get to that point you can't you can't work your best and be the person sending out the email, right? Like, that's not the highest and best use of my time anymore. The great thing about marketing is that it is so easy to delegate, and it's also so easy to manage. So first step for marketing is pulling the data. That is not anything that we need to be doing ourselves. Most of the data that you pull is all available to you online. That can be outsourced to a virtual assistant. It can be outsourced to a local assistant. Um, you do have certain situations where you need to go down to the county and pull it directly from the courthouse, but a local assistant is capable of doing something like that. Um, and then we get into all the different marketing steps. I don't need to send those letters out, but those letters need to be sent out. That is a great thing. Um, some people use a mail house. I prefer it to be done a little bit faster, and so I like having a local assistant that pushes out all of the mail. The way that I manage the local assistant is she sends a picture in front of the post office with all of the letters stamped and stuffed and addressed right before she goes and drops them into the post office box. Um, then we get into the other areas. The Facebook can be done by a virtual assistant, which any of you that are familiar with virtual assistants, you pay them, you know, some. You can get work as low as $2 an hour, but I would average, say, about $4 an hour um, is a good way to get a good assistant. And so if you would not eat out a couple times, that would more than pay for that. Um, and then we get into the other areas as far as emailing and skip tracing, you know, where we talked about not just finding someone's address, but also finding their phone number. That's an online um, provider that can be done by virtual assistant. Most CRMs can set up an email campaign and you set it up one time and you don't ever have to touch it again. And they all go out exactly the way that they're supposed to. And so every bit of marketing that we teach until the time that it comes to making that outbound phone call, all of that can be done by some of that, someone else. All of that can be delegated out to someone else, um, which I think is what has proven to be so successful with the people that we work with because a lot of people that are just getting started in real estate investing have a full-time job. And you have to think realistically about this. Can you really do all of that stuff and work a 40-hour-per-week work and not ignore your family and friends? Probably not. So you need to get some help. You need to, you need to outsource some of the things so that way your time in this business can be spent on those high-end things like making the outbound phone calls, setting appointments, going on appointments, 
and putting offers together. Developing the marketing in the first place because you're not having your you're not having your foreign VA at four bucks an hour decide what to say to people. You're Absolutely. telling them this is this is sort of the template. Make sure you use their name and you know here's the yeah. phone number you put in. So you guys you guys actually get involved in the process at at the point at which there is higher level negotiation and um, uh, property valuation and and things like that and let this other stuff kind of run itself. Absolutely. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And does does anybody in this chain get paid? Uh, as a result of a deal happening or are they all hourly or salaried people? So for, so someone to our local assistant that will stuff, stamp, address, and drop off all of the letters as well as do all of the social media. So any Facebook, some, some of the strategies we do utilize LinkedIn, um, do the emails. That's 44 cents per record. So per piece of data, we pay out $0.44. Cents. Hmm. I like paying per piece instead of by hour because if you choose to go really, really slow, that's not really my problem. You know, I don't want to pay you $10 an hour if you sent out 10 Um so instead, I'll pay you like $4 or, you know, whatever that ends up being, $2, whatever that would be, um, for what you sent out. So I like paying per piece when it's from the marketing standpoint like that. Um, if I were to have someone at some point, we've had them doing acquisitions. Now that then is a percentage of the deal. Um, and we do, you know, our marketing person, when we close a deal, we reward them with a percentage, but I wouldn't start out like that. I would simply start out on a per piece, 44 cents if they're doing all the social media, emails, and taking care of the letters. If it's not, I pay them twenty-two cents. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If they're just doing the letter, it's twenty-two cents per letter. Okay. Okay. So forty-four for the data and twenty-two for the just just the letter part of it. For the letter. Okay. Just the letter. If they're just doing the letter and you're utilizing a VA to outsource, but we can get what was that number, Jason? Five hundred um, records for fifty dollars a month from that VA. Wasn't that? Yeah. yeah, skip trace. So we can get, yeah, 500 pieces of data skip traced for $50 per month. Ah, okay. So that's that's actually uh, good information, not just for people who are looking at that and saying, oh, my business is busy enough that I need to start getting some help and how much that's going to cost me, but also for the new investors who still have full-time jobs who don't think they can get any of this done and... It's so much easier. I mean, they don't think they can do it themselves because they can't if they work, right? And it's so much easier to only be involved in the deal at the point at which there's an actual deal on the table. So uh, I appreciate that. And we are out of time. So I look forward to seeing you guys in Columbus on October the 2nd. Folks who want to attend that meeting can get information at centralohiorea.com and also here in Cincinnati on October the 4th at CincinnatiRia.com. Thank you guys so much. Awesome. Thank you. We'll be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.